I'm Catherine Arndt, the Chief of the VLGA Connect Studio. Welcome to today's episode, brought to you by the VLGA, your councillor support network and the national broadcaster on all things local government. Hello, welcome to VLGA Connect. It's time for another episode in our Local Leaders series. And we're heading east this time into Gippsland and we're going to meet the CEO of Borbore Shire Council, Mark Dupay. Hello, Mark. Hi, Chris. Great to be with you this morning. Good to have you with us. I know you're a regular listener and viewer of VLGA Connect. It's good to have you on the program. Thank you. Yes, no, it's a great honour to be with you all and to hopefully make a good contribution uh, to our sector. I'm, I'm sure you will, and I'm sure you're doing just that. And, of course, the idea of this program, uh, Mark, is to get to know a bit about you and your background, how you came to be a CEO in local government. Uh, tell us about your journey to becoming the Borbore CEO. I uh, joined the sector back in about 2001, Chris, and probably unlike some of my colleagues, I didn't grow up in the sector. Uh, I was in the private sector for 20 years. Right. Uh, and I worked uh, as a, an accountant by training. I was a graduate accountant and worked in uh, big corporates for a number of years. Uh, and then uh, I also had some IT qualifications. So I started installing big data warehouses for banks. And that was uh, the, the second 10 years of my career, um, uh, which took me uh, to a number of places. I lived in Lisbon, Portugal for 12 months, lived in Hong Kong for six months, wow. uh, the United States and Dallas for six months. So that certainly broadened me out as a person and a professional. I think living in a non-English speaking place certainly gave me some insights in Portugal back in the 90s with no internet and one English language newspaper once a week. <laughs> I became right. very good at charades. Um, <laughs> but uh, And then around uh, 2001, uh, I've been working on an implementation at Telstra. And I have applied for a role as a finance and uh, IT executive in a service organisation. And it turned right. out to be Bayside Council, which okay. was the council which abutted where I lived. I lived on the border in Glenora. And so uh, I am Denard. I had two jobs available in one week. And uh, one of my mentors, Vince Leet, uh, who I was work, used to work with at Teradata, said to me, oh, Mark, you love public policy. Um, he said, you're going at an executive level, just go and do it. So I did. So I joined Bayside Council uh, and for in uh, 2001 and had about five years there uh, under uh, Catherine Dale, uh, who's an excellent CEO, who you probably know, Chris. Yes, uh, yes. I think Catherine's now had with with myself and Karen's up to about 13 or 14 CEOs. <laughs> um, so I started there in finance and IT, broadened out to uh, general manager of corporate services, then um, moved on to Knox, where I had about seven years with Graham Emerson, uh, another uh, excellent person to work for, of course. Graham's yes. one of the legends of our sector. Uh, really high-performing place, Knox, worked with some excellent people there. And a few, few of my colleagues there have gone on to be not just CEOs in local government, but in other not-for-profits. Um, and then um, post that, um, I did three years in the Heart Foundation. I decided to go into the not-for-profit sector and then got uh, approached to uh, come out to Borbore to do the General Manager of Corporate Services or the Director of Corporate Services and Community Services role and took that on in 2017. Right. And when Alison left, uh, who's a you know, fantastic CEO and now at Melbourne, um, I applied for the CEO job in March of 2020 and, and was successful. So in short, that's the journey. That's uh, the journey. And quite a bit of name dropping there, Mark. You've worked with some luminaries of the sector in that time. Well, I thought this, today was a good opportunity to publicly acknowledge that, Chris. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, people who I've worked with have had a major influence on me and uh, I've learned a lot from them. So uh, I thought it was a good opportunity having this conversation today to to acknowledge them because you do learn a lot from the people you work with. Yeah, absolutely. So how have you enjoyed being at the, the top of the totem pole in terms of executive positions? Well, it's certainly different to being a director. I can say that, Chris. I think yeah. uh, it, it's a great experience because uh, you are elevated whether you like it or not because you actually are dealing often with our community leaders. So you get you you are engaged more than you are in a portfolio across the community. So um, my wife and I moved up here uh, to Druin. So both of us have been immersed uh, in the community here. So I think that's one of the big differences when you move to being CEO. And also, too, uh, you engage more with um, a lot of the advocacy programs at uh, at a sector level and at, at wider levels. So you know, I'm part of the One Gippsland group. You go to Canberra, which I did for the first time recently. That was really exciting for me, uh, getting to walk around the, the halls of power. Um, and I'm involved. I'm a board member at Destination Gippsland. I've been on the board of the Miley Library. Being a CEO opens up a lot of other opportunities um, to see the impact of what local government does and more generally just how communities work and operate and, and how government works. Now, I've just got to check you on something there. Was your tongue in your cheek when you said going to Canberra was really exciting for you? Yeah, it was. <laughs> right. well, well, I'm a bit of a political junkie, Chris. So yeah. if you're interested in uh, in Canberra to, to get behind the scenes and walk around the halls and yes. you know, walk past Barnaby Joyce's office and uh, uh, was really exciting. And to meet the ministers was in, on a, in a one-on-one situation was really a great experience and I might say it's also one of the greatest art collections I've ever seen. And it's, I have a fair, fair, fair bit of time in art galleries. It, um, it, it is something you've got to do at least once. I do agree. This uh, It is an experience. I just want to touch on a couple of things that you've mentioned there. So the time away at the National Heart Foundation, what was the reason for taking that digression? Yeah, uh, at the time, um, I applied for a couple of CEO roles and, and I hadn't been to just when I was thinking, well, where where does my career go? Because I thought, well, you get to points in your career and you think, well, you know, is the next step going to happen for me? And at that point, I thought, well, it may not happen. And I thought, well, let's take my my skills um, to a new sector. So I hadn't worked in a not-for-profit sector. Now, I am a bit of an expeditionary, Chris, as you might have imagined. I've yeah. lived in a few different places, et cetera. So I thought the opportunity to go to the foundation and, uh, and make a positive contribution into what is a very worthwhile community. Um, organisation, you know, they raised back then it was about seventy million dollars a year, uh, predominantly for heart research. Uh, it was a great opportunity, so took my skills to where I was working actually with a board rather than actually with councillors. So, right. and yeah, and then when the opportunity, one of the key reasons I really wanted to come to Bournemouth was I'd never lived in regional Victoria. I'd, okay, I'd lived in you know other other Australian capitals, lived overseas. I'd never lived regionally. Uh, so I thought, oh, this is just was a good opportunity to come back to the sector and also, um, yeah, living really only an hour from Melbourne in a beautiful part of Victoria. So all those different experiences you've had living overseas, you mentioned Portugal, Hong Kong, Metro, yeah. now regional. Do you recommend to younger people who are looking to forge a career that they get those types of experiences? Does it provide you with a balance perhaps that would otherwise be lacking? I would strongly recommend it if you can do it, but it's it's not always easy. Your family model needs to be able to support that because generally you're going to be doing it um, in years where you've got family, et cetera, mm. um, and also depends on your, you know, 
if you've got a partner, what their career aspirations are, because that can, well, that's possibly a bit easier nowadays with hybrid working, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but I would strongly recommend it. It rounded me out tremendously as a person. And um, I would put to you that, that one of my really key learnings, and I, I, I view a lot of the world through these eyes now, is that all communities and societies work. The hard part is that we always will view them through our own lenses and our own prejudices because of what we're used to. So for me, it really broadened out my view of how I judge, not so much judge, but how I in, interpret what I'm seeing and experiencing. So I think it's a, a wonderful thing if people can do it. Uh, it certainly broadens you out. You'll meet some wonderful people and you'll also have some wonderful experiences. Hmm. You get to understand when, as I did, I didn't have a glowing expat existence. I lived in a normal apartment block in Lisbon um, with the locals and I used to get up and catch the same bus every day as everyone else. You embed yourself, and from that you learn, and, and practice your charades, as you as you said. <laughs> yeah, your background. You talked about uh, you know being an accountant, having some IT experience as well. Um, I'm guessing, as a local government CEO in today's environment, with financial sustainability issues, with digital transformation, the emergence of AI, that you've probably got your own unique take on those issues from a sector perspective. I, I think we need to be embracing all of this, I think. Uh, and you can't hold back where the world's going. And um, I think the expectation is that um, uh, from a financial sustainability point of view, I think we've got some real challenges going ahead. Um, I know there's been a number of discussions on some of the previous programs on this. Uh, ultimate, ultimately, I think that the current model where we do have the, the rate cap is going to be a problem long term financially. And it will get down to deciding what services are we in and to what level, uh, unless there's some change. And I know that the, one of the previous local government ministers was very responsive to some input I gave him in relation to particularly peri-urban shires, that uh, one of the challenges we have, uh, to talk about us for a minute, is that um, when you are experiencing the rapid growth that we are, uh, so for example, I think we've got about 60,000 people in our shire now, 20 years on it will be 90. Um, Normally in a growth shire, you would be borrowing quite heavily now because then you would then be raising your rates to then pay that back, but get the infrastructure in front of the development. Well, at mm. the moment, we can't. We're reacting to that. And mm. that does cause impacts, A, for the future development, but also just on people's day-to-day livability. So from a financial point of view, the cap is causing problems for peri-urban group, peri-urban councils in particular. That, that, that concept of infrastructure growth, uh, infrastructure and growth. Um, and, and the reality is it's never been in front of the growth, has it? It's always been catch up. So how realistically do you think that can change given that not just Bourbon Shire, but you know, a, a lot of areas are experiencing that ma- massive growth and have significant needs? Um, I think there's going to need to be some dedicated uh, thoughts into funding coming from the other levels of government. It, it, that They're the levers. And the federal government's probably got the biggest lever, being the, the overall tax system. And I know what some of the things we're advocating, starting to advocate for is around, for example, a peri-urban fund, for example, we think where uh, councils can actually access funds at a cheaper rate uh, and also some funded, co-funding from the federal government to enable us to actually uh, reduce that gap. I, I think you're totally right. We're never going to be up. We're never going to get to parity. But if we could reduce the level that we're falling behind, if you like, yeah, and, yeah. And, and start to push up, I think 
there's got to be something coming from the other levels of government. And probably we've got to, at the moment, we're probably going to look to the federal government because they've got the big lever. Not a unique problem to Borbor, of course. No. Uh, you were going to make some comments about technology. Oh, yeah, I, I, I think that um, we, as a sector, we need to actively embrace the technology. And I go back to the work that I did, you know, you know I was building data warehouses with banks. It was all about one-to-one -one marketing and getting to understand your customer better and getting to, and, and for us, it's about understanding our customers and our community better. So, you know, people are going to, as and, and we're already doing a lot of this, they want to be able to interact with us when they want to, not when we tell them to. Uh, and being able to, when, when someone does engage with council, having a full view of their relationship with us uh, and being able, so therefore we are aware of all that's going on when we are servicing them, I think is important. And I think that, that this will continue uh, and I can see a day when you know, we will be having people available from 7 in the morning to 7 at night online um, and some are doing that now already. Yeah, I think that'll just become the norm uh, and I think we need to uh, embrace and move with it. Are you excited about AI, AI and its potential? Oh, def definitely. There's some scary aspects around some of this technology, but you've got to try and look at the advantages that it can bring. And I know... We've had, we've like a lot of probably everybody. We've we've had uh, had to play around with some aspects of AI just to put some things mm. into Chat GBT to see what comes out, and it was pretty it was pretty impressive what mm. came out. So again, it's a case of when do you, you, you? It will be a case of we have no option but to adapt and adopt, adopt and adapt. It's a case of how do we do that as part of all the myriad of other things that we're doing. Um, so the community, those I said, will expect that. And we need to move. So let's talk a bit about Borbor specifically. Can you just, for those who don't know where it is, can you just paint the picture for us of of, yeah. of, of where you sit and the sorts of issues you face there? Yeah, we're one and a quarter hours due east of Melbourne. So we are the gateway to Gippsland. We often refer to as West Gippsland. So um, we start really around Labatouche when you come off the, uh, when you're on the, the, the freeway. The two major towns are Warrigal and Druin. We have... Uh, Yarragon and Trafalgar are the other two big towns that are on the principal public transport network and the, and the freeway. Uh, we also have um, uh, other, we go further north towards Mount Borbor. So we have towns like Newham South, um, which is also a, a new G, which are both tourist towns as well, which attract people. Uh, further south, we have um, uh, Thorpedale, for example. We had a great event with the Melbourne Food and Wine Festival last year. And, and then we go um, further east, we get out, we actually have to uniquely leave our shire uh, to get back into our shire uh, to get to the uh, to the townships of Erica, Rawson and Walhalla, of course, which is where one of our councillors is. It's a, one of the smallest um, towns in, in Victoria, 20-odd right. people, and they've got a, uh, a councillor, and uh, Councillor Lenny was formerly a, a mayor of Borbor. So wow. uh, yeah. it, it's a big shire, um, so therefore... Um, and we have that unique mix now where we're going to get a lot of growth concentrated in the two centres, but we've still got um, the rest of the Shire which, with, with the smaller towns and communities that we need to be supporting as well. Yeah. Uh, but it's a it's a uh, very beautiful place to come and visit us. I'll give a promo for my own Shire. Come out <laughs> and visit us. We've got some great uh, you know, got some great restaurants that you can come and uh, come and eat at, but also to a, a great gateway through to the rest of Gippsland. Yeah. So what are the particular issues at the moment that are, of, uh, I guess, of concern or challenging you there? The, the growth is the biggest issue we have. Yeah. When, As I mentioned, we're going from 60,000 people to 90,000 people. 
Uh, we've got two precinct structure plans in place, one for drill and one for Warrigal, managing that growth. That's from an infrastructure perspective. Clearly, we need to be building, making, getting the schools in place, getting the roundabouts in place, which are a big issue for us, um, right. getting all the services um, in place that are, that are assigned in those precinct structure plans. There's also though the community expectations as they move east. So we have got people that are coming out from uh, other growth areas or maybe coming out from Melbourne. They are expecting to see the same level of services, the same quality of infrastructure, the same quality of sporting fields, et cetera, as what they're used to. That is a challenge managing the community expectations. Uh, so that's, an, that's another one. And then there's the expectations of our current community because a lot of people who have lived here for years they now suddenly can't get a car park where they always yeah. Yeah. So they've got yeah. to think about that. Um, the times are changing. Yeah. The times are changing. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and those people that have lived here for a long time, they're seeing some of their amenity for them um, falling away. And they are. Ch- and that's, that's something else that we manage with our community as well on a regular mm-hmm. basis. So they're the challenges that we really have um, in terms of, that, of our community of balancing those that are coming in with, with, of course, those that have been here for, for quite some time. Yeah. Make for an interesting uh, model of community engagement. Yes, yes. Well, it, it's something that challenges a lot of uh, councils, doesn't it, these days, as expectations grow. Um, I, I noticed, I think, earlier this year, the council saw fit to extend your tenure, so you're there through to 2025. I was reflecting, Mark, and correct me if I'm wrong, up until I think around the Helen Anstis time, Helen brought a bit of stability back to that organisation. There'd been a lot of CEOs, hadn't there? How yeah. How is the organisation placed now in terms of stability and uh, uh, structure going forward? Yeah, we've had a pretty stable structure for the last five years. Chris, the company, most of the current executive team has been in place for the last four to five years. Um, we had a couple have come in recently. A mm-hmm. uh, number of our uh, our management team is reasonably stable as well, and we've had a number of our people, of actual of Borbor people, have moved into the management roles, which I think has been good for the organisation mm-hmm. uh, and, and brings us some stability. So, um, yeah, we, we are more stable now than we probably have been at any point for a long time. And if I go back to a few years ago, before our time here, I often viewed Ball Ball from outside as a place where people went for a year or two and then moved on. Mm. We're actually trying to uh, give people solid career paths here. And, you know, as I often I said just this morning in induction, I'm about, I'm about growing our people for, for Ball Ball, but also for the rest of the sector. Because if people come here and have a good experience, and that's what we want people to be able to grow, work, succeed in Borbo, um, they could come here, have a good experience, maybe go elsewhere, but then they might come back uh, if they're on their leadership journey. So yeah. certainly I, I can say to you that, yeah, it's a much more stable organisation now. And I think the councillor group have also been, you know, in appointing me post Allison probably saw that as well, that you know, they could have gone for an external person. They went for myself. They wanted to keep... Yeah, the positive journey we've been on, our engagement results have been quite positive. You know, I think there's uh, it, that we're now seen as a place where people will come uh, to grow their career. So I, I know none of us have a crystal ball, but post-2025, do you see yourself uh, still in this role if all the circumstances aligned, or is there something else you want to do with your career? Well, I think the new council might have something to say. About that. <laughs> they may well, they may well, but let's put that one aside. What What would you like to see happen with your uh, oh, future? I, I have always had a view that leaders you know, basically should only stay in roles for a certain period of time. Now, 
I marvel at some people that can stay for 10 and 20 years. I think that's fantastic yeah. if you can keep reinventing yourself. For me, I think five to seven is the right period. And certainly in my career, I've never stayed more than five to seven. So post-2025, we'll be up to the to the councillors of, of the day. But if they wanted me to stay on for a year or two, I'd consider that. But if they didn't, you know, I would be looking to you know, to stay in the sector. I'd maybe take some board roles. Um, and, and get involved because I think I've still got a lot to offer uh, the sector and I certainly don't want to just um, go away and uh, retire and do nothing. I think um, I'm too interested in what I'm doing. Excellent. Well, that's that's very positive. Good to hear. So what do you do outside of work to keep yourself sane and, and have some balance in your life? Um, I play golf very badly. Um, so that's one thing. Um, yeah. One thing that I... I, a couple of things I, I practice. One is I basically never do any work on Saturdays. So Saturdays is almost my sacrosanct day where I just have to myself to spend going to a local market or, um, you know, as I said, playing golf or going to the football. I, I beg for Richmond for my sins. Um, won't hold, I'll try not to hold that against you. Um, but also, too, I, I do try to get out of the Shire sometimes. So um, I do get down to the Mornington Peninsula a bit. Um, I've got family in Melbourne, so I get down to Melbourne as well. So... Probably two out of four weekends you know, at the moment, I'll head out for you know one of the nights on the weekend, a Saturday night, maybe catch up with some friends. But um, yeah, that's how I keep saying. Um, and just as I said, I think the, the key thing for everybody, I think, in leadership roles is you've got to be able to get that time away. And for me, of course, if I'm driving, unfortunately, if I'm driving around the Shire on the weekend, often all I see is things to be fixed up. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and I know you're a regular listener of uh, TGU and VLGA Connect. Is that something you listen to in the car or you carve out time at home to sit and watch? Uh, no, it's always in the car, actually. Because yeah, um, yeah. my two drives that I do being um, Dramana and also um, Melbourne, it's perfect listening time for me. Um, Very good. And so uh, unfortunately, I don't get to, to, to view yourself on the team. That often, uh, but it's generally always in the car, and um, and I, as I said, it's a great way to uh, to 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 use the time profitably. Excellent. All right, Mark, it's been uh, really good to chat to you. Uh, great to hear about your journey to being a local government CEO, and what might be ahead for you. And I thank you very much for participating in Local Leaders. Thanks, Chris. Uh, talk soon again, hopefully. That's Mark Dupay, our guest on Local Leaders. Mark is the CEO at Borbor Shire Council in Victoria. Thanks for watching Local Leaders and VLGA Connect. We'll be back with more very soon. 